0: Okay, let's go to say this loud and clear. Betelgeuse is not going to explode. But, but, but no, 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 no. no. It is still not going to explode.
1: But I want it to. You want it
0: to? I don't want to. Orion is a beautiful constellation. I did have one of the most beautiful stars in the night sky, which is precisely Betelgeuse. I want that star to be there for the rest of my life.
1: But I want to see a supernova. But you
0: have plenty of other stars. They are faint stars. And, eh, who cares about those stars? No one knows even their names. <laughs> they can explode. And it, actually, Eta Carina should explode before than Betelgeuse.
1: True. Everyone's kind of just forgotten about Eta Carina.
0: Uh, completely forgotten. And they have forgotten that it has a very bright burst of luminosity in the 19th Eighth, century. 18, 1840s, Yeah. Yes. There it is. Still, it has not exploded. And that is what is going to happen with Betelgeuse at the moment.
1: Come on, Edekrena! Come on. <laughs> Give me a supernova in my lifetime, please.
0: We want supernovas in our lifetime. We do not want to see Betelgeuse going into a supernova. At least that is my impression.
1: Uh, that's say, uh, speak, speak for yourself.
0: <laughs> anyway, so that is a good kind of an introduction because we are going to be talking today about the evolution of the stars. That's right. How stars work, and with the aim of trying also to explain a bit more about the situation with bitter juice. That's
1: right. I'm Kirsten Banks.
0: And I'm Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the, the Scientists,
1: scientists. Welcome to episode 31 of The Scientists. Today, we're going to be talking about stellar evolution, but as usual, we always start off with a bit of space news.
0: Before going there, as it is episode three, season three, episode number 31 in total, and perhaps many listeners have not had a chance of listening to our first episodes when we are hoping that we are going to get the millions and millions, millions
1: of, of listeners. Of listeners. <laughs>
0: Well, we are starting to get there. Not there yet. We still have three orders of money to to go.
1: That's not far.
0: Because during the last uh, weeks, we reached the 10,000 listens.
1: Oh, so you guys have listened to our episodes ten thousand times, you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you all so much for listening to our episodes. We love you.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that was actually a very nice surprise. So it's great to see that's that. That's so cool. So thank you very much for being there.
1: And after just two years,
0: that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. after
1: a large hiatus, yes. cut way through there as well. Yes. Go okay. us. Go the scientists.
0: Yeah. So um, your space news.
1: Yeah. So I don't have so much as official space news this episode but i thought i'd tell a bit of a story of something that happened on twitter just a couple of days ago A story a bit of a story in twitter on twitter what is twitter i don't know what is twitter <laughs> oh please <laughs> we all know twitter <laughs>
0: sorry another little bracket here it is just that i have been quite away from social media in the last week or so because mm. it was too much for me to try to digest everything that is happening in australia with the bushfires yes yeah, and i was starting to be too much anxiety and, and feeling helpless.
1: Mm, it's it's good to switch off sometimes. Luckily, with the. The air quality hasn't been too bad in Sydney the last couple of days, so you cool. can actually actually remove yourself from it a bit more. But mm,
0: but but yeah. it's still, very bad in Canberra today, the date we are recording this, it is an awful date in Melbourne. Mm. And so yes, and and all, you know it's having a disaster. And perhaps we can talk about that in again in another episode, connecting again with some feedback about how we really should be taking care of our home world and the climate change problem and
1: the That's anyway, right. sorry. So anyway, Twitter. So I saw a tweet that said, Tell me your most excited Tell me a random science fact. I'm like, alright, I'll take part in this. So I quoted the tweet and told us this the fact about how technically, in quotation marks, technically Jupiter does not orbit around the Sun.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we discussed that in an episode of The Sky Antis in the First Season. I
1: think we have, yeah. So I I talked about how the center of mass, so this balance point between the Sun and Jupiter, is not actually inside the Sun. So there's the technicality of it doesn't orbit around the Sun itself. It, Jupiter and the Sun both mutually orbit around a point in space that's 50,000 kilometers out from the surface of the Sun. So the sun wobbles mm-hmm. due to Jupiter, yeah, 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 yeah. and it's gotten it's it's gone wild. It's fantastic. Oh, it's so cool it's, to it's, see everyone's getting engaged. People are cool. like, "Whoa!" <laughs> mind blown emojis. But then there are these couple of people who are like. Oh, but actually, the center of mass of the solar system moves. I'm like, oh, yeah, true. But I actually learned quite a few things with people talking about it, which was fantastic. Just...
0: Because everything is in movement.
1: That's right, and so there are cannot, so many. You cannot
0: put a place in the cosmos, in the full cosmos, that is just fixed and not moving. There is no That's way right. of doing that. We are in the surface of the Earth. The Earth is rotating, so we are one movement. Mm-hmm. The Earth is moving around the Sun. That's right. The Sun is moving around the Milky Way. Mm. The Milky Way is moving in, in the nearby the local universe, group. in the local group. Mm. See, on the same way, falling into the bigger cluster. That's uh, right. But the universe is in, in, in expansion, so
1: mm-hmm. accelerated expansion. So we're all moving everywhere. We are we're moving.
0: In... We are all moving.
1: Plus, and I want to just point out that the more bodies you add to your equation, the much more complex it gets. Mm-hmm. But if we just consider the Sun and Jupiter system and nothing else, they balance outside of the Sun. So yeah. they mutually orbit each other, which is really, really cool.
0: It's really, really nice. And, and yeah. the, the, the other thing that you have mentioned, when you have more than two bodies, it is a is three bodies. That's problem. right. And that's
1: a very famous problem in physics, the three-body problem. It
0: is so, so, so important that uh, no, we have not been able to solve it mathematically. Mm. So it is only done by sun approximation.
1: That's right, and, and just w- just wait till you be- make the nine body problem, which is basically the solar system, or it, including the major planets in the sun.
0: Yes, but just not notice that Kirsten have mentioned nine bodies problem, mm-hmm. saying the sun and eight planets.
1: That's true. Yes, good note. Good note to mention there. Although we still love you, Pluto.
0: We still love Pluto, but we also have Ceres and the other. Three remaining dwarf planets: Haumea, Makemake, and Aries. That's right. Plus plenty of little asteroids and Kuiper Belt objects and transneptunian objects and comets and moons orbiting planets. So many moons! Ra- oh my goodness! Ra- 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 many, 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 many other things. So, so yeah. So the solar system is complicated. That's
1: all I want to say out of yeah, it.
0: That is why it is chaotic.
1: That's
0: right. It is chaotic. But
1: and I just right. want to say that just it was just really cool to see how engaged people got just with this. What I seen, what I thought was just a, it's just a random fact.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Working in science communication really opens your eyes to see like what people do and do not know, mm-hmm. and what inspires people. Like this is really cool. It was quite an eye opener for me.
0: That is for sure. There's many things that we are given and we know for granted, mm. but they are not popularly known for the major part of the people. So when you mention them, wow, there are wow, that is. The way it is, and they are very surprised. And for it's us, mind it is mind blown. Okay. Yeah, for us, having okay,
1: that's yeah. right. <laughs>
0: Perhaps that is also have plenty to be connected with the situation with Betelgeuse at the
1: moment. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> what what a segue! Hi
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone. No, because we know it is in the face of the uh, super red giant, so it's going to die soon as a supernova. Yes, soon. Soon, <laughs> and we are quoting Marx here. Soon. Good. That is a, yes, that's my, that, my space story. I, I think it is a great news. <laughs> Good. Uh, let me tell you my space news. What that have we uh, got going on in space? So we have a very dramatic and great new image from the Hubble Space Telescope.
1: Oh, I love it already.
0: I saw you tweeting and talking about this one here. Uh, it is... The spiral galaxy UGC two eight eight five, located around two hundred thirty two million light years away, Not in, too far. The, in the northern constellation of Perseus, it is just a huge galaxy. <gasps> this is the
1: really big one, the it really big a, spiral.
0: Yes, it is at least. Um, I have. It was few. ten
1: times, ten times the amount of stars, or ten times the mass. Yes, of the Milky Way, way mm-hmm. which um, I which blew my mind because obviously the Milky Way is four hundred. Billion. I shouldn't say obviously, because we never know who what people do and do not know. So the Milky Way has about 400 billion stars in it. Times it by 10, blew my mind. Four trillion stars. That's a lot of stars.
0: More or less like that. Or we actually do not know well the mass of the Milky Way in stars. That's very so true. Between, it's a mixed approximation. Between the two and the four billions. Mm-hmm. Hundred. Hundred billion? Yes. Sorry, yes, hundred billion. And um, because... For this one, I think the estimation, it is around two trillions. Mm. And that's why you can do the, adding the times, the times. That's right. But in order of magnitude, it is just an order of magnitude larger, that's something like that. Um, And at the same time, it is around two and a half times um, much larger than the Milky Way.
1: Ooh, two and a half times the size of the Milky Way. Yes. That's a monster of a spiral. And a spiral, nonetheless. It is
0: a spiral. It is one of the most massive spiral galaxies known and that is also why it was very interesting to have a look to it. Uh, actually, in the past, it have been known as the Godzilla
1: Galaxy. <laughs> of course it was.
0: <laughs> of course. So this new image came as a consequence of the um, American Astronomical Society meeting at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. In, uh, I don't remember what it was. I think it was in Hawaii this year. But I mention it not only because it is a... Beautiful, fantastic image that we can be talking a bit more about it and Mm -hmm. and, uh, the importance of resolving a stellar population in this galaxy. But I want to emphasize why the Hubble Space Telescope observed this galaxy. There's a reason. There is a reason, yes. There is a reason. The reason it is that on the 25th of December 2016, a very famous astronomer died. Vera Rubin.
1: Ah, Vera Rubin.
0: Vera Rubin. Rubin That's right. I
1: remember this now.
0: Yes. So that was very unfortunately because Vera Rubin was a magnificent astronomer and a person, encouraging plenty of women into astronomy. Mm. Um, Really, we need more people like her. But also, she did plenty of research in how galaxies rotate, how they move. And she was the very first person to realize that we need more mass than the mass that we see for explaining the rotation and the dynamics of Mm. galaxies. Leading to dark matter. Getting into the dark matter. Because dark matter uh, was already mentioned in some way by other astronomers, particularly uh, Fritz Zwicky in the 30s or the 20th century, Mm. trying to understand the same thing the same thing i mean same kind of things trying to understand how galaxies move in galaxy clusters yeah and realizing that was some kind of matter that it is missing yes but here Vera rubin and her team they were able to prove that that is actually happening in spiral galaxies
1: wow
0: and that was very important and we were talking about that in another episode we were talking about women in astronomy as a consequence of that There were some people in Twitter (laughs) that they were talking about, okay, we should try to get something for honoring her. Yeah, definitely. A friend of mine, Bene Hulverda, of the University of Louisville in Kentucky, and with some few other astronomers in Twitter, they were talking about, okay, let's go to try to get one of these famous galaxies that were observed spectroscopically by Mm -hmm. Vera Robin. Yep to try to get an image of the Hubble Space Telescope. Not an image, but a series of images to to study the stellar populations and to get a very nice image. And
1: this is the galaxy. And
0: they liaise together in Twitter And they started to work together to prepare a proposal for the Hubble Space Telescope that Mm -hmm. at the end it was approved. Obviously. And and they got the time and they got beautiful data that they were able to produce this fantastic new image.
1: Oh, that's fantastic.
0: And that is also why they're proposing from now on naming the spiral galaxy UGC 2885 as Rubin's Galaxy.
1: I love that. That's so lovely. That's just, that's, that's like astronomy goals. Have a yeah. galaxy named after you. Or, or something like that named after you.
0: Particularly a galaxy like this one. Yes. So Personally,
1: be... I think Ruben's galaxy is much better than Godzilla galaxy.
0: I, I also prefer yeah. that one. That's for sure. Um, it is interesting because they, the paper is still not there. So, they are still working on it. Uh, Right. But um, But the the images have been already released. Amazing. So, it is just amazing. Um, And yet, you say that it is good to have a galaxy named after you. What about one of the most sophisticated telescopes in the world?
1: That, yep, yep, that'll do it. (laughs) That'll do it. it.
0: Very much connected with this because uh, at the beginning of the year, also during the AAS meeting, the American Astronomical Society meeting. It was announced that the large Synoptic Survey Telescope LSST, which mm-hmm. is now in construction in Chile. And I'm not sure if we have to talk too much about this telescope. Perhaps we we'll we have it. a
1: little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's going to be a it's going to be conducted a large survey of the sky in very different ways. Well this yes, and, and it's going to be very much impacted by Starlink. Anyway, but this telescope... <laughs> That's another story. That is another story. This telescope, the LSST, now is going to be named NSF Vera C. Rubin Observatory.
1: I love that. It's a bit of a mouthful, though. <laughs> NSF Vera C. Rubin ah, Observatory yeah, yeah, yeah. is just very
0: long. Ah, yes. But
1: I love the recognition that she's getting. But
0: it is, again, the kind of a joke that I did to you before we were starting to record imagine a telescope after myself nsf angel r lopez sanchez <laughs> sorry i said that in spanish angel r lopez sanchez <laughs> observatory <laughs> everyone is going to be <clears throat> confused sorry very bad joke it is the beginning of the year who cares
1: that's fantastic though that's just a, a galaxy and a very sophisticated to new telescope that's Mm -hmm. she's made it yeah -hmm. and honestly she's getting the recognition she absolutely deserves
0: yeah definitely because sometimes it is said that when you are given a recognition or you get an award it is not only you who is recognized it is also the institution that is giving the award right and that is in connection with uh, Vera Rubin having a candidate for a Nobel Prize in physics Mm -hmm. for a lot of time and never got it well. Vera Rubin was a fantastic astronomer that mm. definitely deserved a recognition like that. But, on the other hand, well, uh, now the Nobel Prize cannot presume, cannot say, hey, we have as a awardee of this uh, prestigious uh, award, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, someone like Vera Rubin. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, great space news! I love that. That was a very wholesome, very fun, fun space news. I really liked that. <laughs>
0: okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think it is.
1: So that brings us to our main topic for the episode: stellar evolution. And the reason why we're bringing this up today is because, you know, Beetlejuice is doing some weird stuff. We thought, let's try and put that into context. How do stars live? How do stars die? How do stars? How are stars born? Mm-hmm. Let's. Well, Try and go through it all as much as we can. Just a bit of the fun stuff and a few technical things here and there. But um, yeah, it's because, going to be all about that today. Um,
0: if I remember properly, I remember that uh, during our very first season, we were mentioning Now we are going to be talking about the star clusters to connect that. Uh, with stellar evolution and actually explaining what the stellar evolution is and how it works and we never did it because we were jumping from one thing to we're f-
1: another. We're finally here. <laughs> <laughs> if you waited out this long,
0: we- we talk- you're welcome. <laughs> we talked about uh, stuff from ingredients and Nebula. That's I right. I think that was probably our second or third, no, the second was the Blue Moon. <laughs> uh, not the blue moon the bl- bl- whatever um mm-hmm. the third episode probably mm-hmm. orion the, the green orion
1: green orion ah yes what a good episode what a fun time but yes we're gonna bring it all into context now <laughs> see we eventually do what we say we're going to do <laughs> We get there.
0: Yeah, very organised.
1: Very organised, yes. So, I thought we'd start with the birth of a star because wh- where else should we start? We're not going to start in the middle of the evolution because then we'd be jumping back and forth, much like how we do things normally. <laughs> but we thought we'd have a bit of structure here today. So, how do stars form? Well, first of all, what is a star? It's a big ball of gas, very hot gas that fuses hydrogen or fuses elements into heavier elements and produces light.
0: So, do, do you know? In which movie, what it a star is very well explained?
1: No, there's a movie that explains stars?
0: Yeah, no, no, there is a movie in which there is a, a little scene that they are talking about the stars. Oh, really? And they give a very nice definition of a star. Is it contact? No. Uh,
1: the dish? No. Interstellar? You're
0: not, you're not going to edit.
1: No? Okay, no, it's no. not a space-themed movie. The Lion King. Really?
0: In The Lion King... <gasps>
1: oh, yes! Have... Pumbaa! That's right. Pumbaa, they're looking up at the stars. And uh, the, the, uh, what's this? I should know this. The Lion King was like my favourite movie when I was younger. But. No, no, just, yeah, Timon. No, Timon and Pumbaa. Simba. Simba. Simba's like, oh, they're, they're the gods and whatnot, the ancient kings, which is what many cultures believe, which is fantastic. But then. Pumba comes along and says, "I thought they were all big balls of gas, millions and millions of miles away." And Timon's like, "Nah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: nah, it is because everything around you, everything is gas." a <laughs> ah, 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 bad joke.
1: That's very. I just. Oh, I've never realized. Never you clicked. Never, never clicked that. until Come now. On, I always, and I've seen it so many times. I always put that scene
0: in my talks for kids.
1: That's awesome. That's really
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> i give you new ideas. They're new
1: ideas, yeah. You've, you've seen the, the eyes of perked up. Oh, yes, <laughs> ideas, idea time. So, yeah, so stars are big balls of gas, as Pumbaa very well says it. But how do they start? They start from a giant molecular cloud. So I know we don't like clouds here on Earth, but space clouds... they're okay yeah
0: they are very much okay very much okay we love those clouds
1: we do and we've referenced to our green orion episode Mm -hmm. that is one of those big molecular clouds that form stars so yeah this big cloud it's not quite uniform kind of like a a glass of water Mm -hmm. where it's just the same all throughout basically it's more like a glass of milo and for our non-australian listeners if you don't know what milo is look it up because Milo is a fantastic drink. You put milk in it, it's malts and chocolate sort of thing. You mix it around and there's big clumps inside of the drink.
0: Okay, now I'm going to say something that Kirsten perhaps will jump. But uh, for our Spanish listeners, that is Nesquik, which is much better than Milo. No. <laughs> no. So, no Col- Fun- Colacao. No, Nesquik is, is more universal. You can find Nesquik here, but not Colacao.
1: Fundamentally wrong, but we'll move it's- on.
0: Is the same thing.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Is the same thing.
1: Good. Well, I'm glad that that's an equivalent thing, so people know what I'm talking about. So, anyways, so there are these clumps inside of these big molecular clouds where there's more stuff, and so more gravity. Mm-hmm. So, where there's more gravity, more stuff gets pulled in and in and in.
0: Uh, and before you're going, and moving further on that. You are saying very well, molecular clouds, in the sense that they are really molecules. Yes, are the very cold, very dense regions in the in the galaxy, mm-hmm. and, and these are the good conditions for forming stars. Yes, so you need the material to be very, very cold. And when I'm talking about very, very cold, it is only
1: a couple of kelvins, probably, yeah,
0: probably four kelvins. That is the, the coolest. It's a bit, it's a around bit chilly. Very chilly. <laughs> uh, usually we can measure very well uh, temperatures of some tens of kelvins in in the molecular that's a, clouds. That's a bit in, balmy. But still, that is uh, in the external parts of the molecular clouds, not in the very inside. In the very inside, oh, when, when you are getting the conditions that is making that the gas is collapsing and condensing for forming stars, yeah, it is ridiculous. Is, low. It's very, very, very low.
1: Is it generally warmer on the edges because of ionization from stellar winds or because something? Because
0: there are ionization from in different places, even uh, radiation from the galaxy. Ah. And so they are sheltered. They are protected in the inside. And yeah. that is why
1: it is much cooler. That's really cool. I learned something today. You are always, <laughs> always learning new things here. This is fantastic. Um, another thing that I learned today is actually typical giant molecular clouds are roughly around 100 light years across, Whoa. but contain up to 6 million solar masses. So essentially the equivalent mass of 6 million suns. Yep, that sounds- is insane.
0: Yep. There are plenty of material in these uh, regions, in um, molecular clouds and mm. the molecular complexes. And I was going to ask you, do you know where there is a very famous big molecular complex? Orion. Orion. Yes,
1: I know this you one. Know one. You <laughs> do know you know like the one. Orion molecular cloud complex? Yeah.
0: Because it, everything is connected also with mm. pictures.
1: <clears throat> <laughs> it's so many tangents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: There are actually studies that they have been analysing the different complexes in Orion and going into a bit of Taurus and, and Monoceros, which is also more or less connected to that region in the sky mm-hmm. and how star formation has been moving from one place to the other.
1: Ooh, and that's right cool. now,
0: the more the most active region it is the Orion Nebula. Mm-hmm. But there are so many things mm. in, in around that constellation that is why it is so rich. In uh, in stuff I mean, just objects. a great place to look. Yes, yes, great and it's up at. at the moment,
1: and it is up at the moment, which is just perfect timing. So yeah, so in these huge, giant molecular clouds, we say that it collapses, but I think that's a bit more of a not so much arbitrary term, but it's it's a bit too broad. Like not the entire cloud doesn't collapse; it's these little clumps inside those regions where it's mm-hmm. much cooler, the perfect conditions for it to actually occur but small pockets of it will collapse to form stars because you're not going to form a star that's six million solar masses in Mm -hmm. one go. No. You'll probably be forming stars that have actually much less than one solar mass because those are more abundant. Many of them, That's right. And maybe a couple of really heavy, massive stars here and there as well. But what happens is these molecular clouds or the, the bits in the clouds condense and they form a protostar. So that's the first stage of stellar evolution.
0: Yes, just emphasizing that from one star forming region, we are not going into star forming region per se yet, but molecular cloud, there are many stars that will be formed.
1: That's right. And there's Mm -hmm. a great photo of, I forget which, there's a molecular cloud of some description where you look at it in visible light and you see just lots of stuff, lots of clouds and stuff. But if you look at it in infrared light, that's when you can start to see all these little protostars because mm-hmm. protostars, they're encompassed in lots of dust and gas. So they're shrouded from any external light. And then the infrared light just pops on out.
0: You can go even to the Orion Nebula and you see many more stars than the pockets of star-forming regions. there, forming new stars, new suns that appear much better in the infrared light. Mm.
1: That is. It looks very pretty too. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Very pretty. It's like you turn the lights on. <laughs> but um, anyway, but you can go and have a look to any of the images taken by the Spitzer Infrared Telescope mm. by NASA that took plenty of images of star-forming regions, and you compare those images. Um, usually they are, the two of them together, with the image, as we see with our light, with the optical light, you will see the difference. Mm. You will see the, the, the red stars, I mean, protostars and the stars embedded in the dust surrounding it that um, they're forming there. So they're really, really nice.
1: That's right. So we have these protostars. So most, I would say all stars, correct me if I'm wrong here, Arnel, all stars start as protostars.
0: Yeah, no, that for sure it is the first phase.
1: Exactly. You but have then... to
0: have a protostar. Protostar. It is just when the material it... is condensing, but you are still in the in the core of that region.
1: No fusion yet. There is no fusion. Not yet. hot enough yet. Exactly. That's right. So that kind of brings us to where we kind of fork off from this protostar mm-hmm. phase. Like, what happens after this? So this is where we can kind of see where we get different stars forming, and it all depends on the mass of the stars. So we're going to start low and the way up.
0: And, and before, again, sorry, sorry. It is just <laughs> because the main parameter here is the mass. That's right. There are some few other dependents, particularly metallicity and some few other factors. Metallicity is the chemical composition of the star.
1: How many metals? How many metals? So not hydrogen and helium. Exactly. That's it.
0: <laughs> metals in astronomy. But the main thing here is the original mass.
1: Yes, very much so. Let's start at the bottom with the very light and not very massive mm-hmm. stars. And that would be the brown dwarfs and what's called substellar objects. So these protostars. A, a, exactly, <laughs> a planet. Exactly, a planet. So protostars with masses less than about 0.08 times the mass of the sun never reach temperatures high enough to fuse, to fuse hydrogen. Mm-hmm. But they sometimes fuse deuterium. Yes, that's right. Which is, if I remember correctly, Two hydrogen atoms.
0: Yes. no, it, it is a an proton and a neutron in a nitrogen atom. So a nitrogen atom.
1: That's right. That yes. That have a yes, proton yes, yes. and a neutron.
0: Usually all the hydrogen, or the majority of the hydrogen in the universe, it is just the proton. That's right. So we can say hydrogen of proton. Yeah. We're talking about the So it's the an isotope of hydrogen. It is an isotope of hydrogen.
1: Yeah. So a bit, almost double the mass of hydrogen. Mm-hmm. We won't go too much into the... The particle but, but actually stuff.
0: <laughs> because that is the reason why it is uh, as these objects, the brown dwarf stars, are able to fuse deuterium and not hydrogen because deuterium is much more massive mm-hmm. than hydrogen, and then the collisions of the conditions that you need inside the stars are a bit more favorable to burn deuterium into helium.
1: Mm, yes, but deuterium goes away very quickly <laughs> very, very, in very stars, quick. mm-hmm. but Less on that later. So, the International Astronomical Union defines brown dwarfs as stars that are massive enough to fuse deuterium at some point in their lives, mm-hmm. and the minimum mass for this is around 13 times the mass of Jupiter. Yep. And the reason why I bring that up is because everyone at some point is like, "Oh, could Jupiter be a brown dwarf?"
0: No, no, <laughs> no. I cannot. And, and that is the same thing, like when we are talking about, "Oh, Jupiter is." Um very massive planet, 1,000 times the mass of the, of the Earth and so on. Not quite. 300.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> still.
0: Order, order of money tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, Classic but, astronomer form. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, um, we were very close to have two stars in the solar system and then it would have been a very different story for us. But mm-hmm. still, you know, from 1 to 13 Jupiter masses. It's
1: so a big it's, jump. It's a,
0: it's a big jump. It's a big so, jump. Indeed. And, and that would be a still a brown dwarf, not even a star. That's so right. You, you will need, I think, uh, around 80 Jupiter masses, which is around 0.08 solar masses.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. So objects smaller than 13 Jupiter masses are classified as sub-brown dwarfs. but if they orbit another star, then they're a planet.
0: Yeah. So the, we'll eventually.
1: If, if you're by yourself, we'll call you a sub-brown dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> if that isn't insulting enough, but if you're around, if you're orbiting around a star, now nah, you're a planet, which I think is better. I'd rather be called. If I were one of those, I'd rather be called a planet than a sub brown dwarf.
0: Mm, remember that you still have the definition of a planet: how do you reach your hydrostatic equilibrium?
1: Ah, uh, good point. <laughs> I guess I better work on that. <laughs> but yeah, so those are our brown dwarf and sub stellar objects. And these sorts of stars, or not quite stars, they will last for thousands of billions of years. Mm-hmm. They, the, the the which you'll see as we go on throughout the episode, is that the less massive your star, the longer it lasts.
0: Yes, and that is also why the mass of a star is so important for a stellar evolution.
1: Mm. It dictates the time, dictates how hot it is, yes. dictates yes. many things.
0: Remember that um, I told you at the very beginning, I'm not going to use any equation for this <coughs> today. <coughs> but there is only one little thing I'm going to do. That is that the time life of a star yep. is going with the mass to the third power. Wow. Which which is the, the important one. So um, if we are talking about... Uh, a star like the Sun, Mm -hmm. that uh, lifetimes will be 10 billion years, Mm -hmm. something like that. When we move to a star like 10 times the Sun, the mass of the Sun, that will be only around 10 million of years.
1: So billion to million. For only (laughs) Wow. Which brings us to the main sequence, having mentioned the Sun and other larger stars as well. So for more massive protostars... You will eventually reach 10 million Kelvin in the core, which is, as far as I know, the sweet spot for mm-hmm. nuclear fusion to mm-hmm. occur.
0: No, the thing is that when you reach that point, you are able to get not only the hydrostatical equilibrium...
1: Yes, very important.
0: ...but also the thermal equilibrium. That's right. And that is why it is more or less that temperature from now on till the fuel which is hydrogen Mm. It's is just
1: yeah so it's the best time for hydrogen to be fused so if Mm -hmm. you're if you're a star that is around one solar mass so we're now talking about the sun here a little bit we have the proton proton chain reaction it's the sort of reaction that's used to form helium from hydrogen Mm -hmm. and there's I think, around eight different reactions that occur.
0: No, not no, that many. No, no, not that many. There are only four.
1: Four. That's I was going four. to say four. Why did I doubt myself? Yeah,
0: you
1: can say <laughs> <second>. <laughs> That's okay. So, yeah. So, we have the proton-proton chain reaction. But if you're a bit heavier than one solar mass, or even around one solar mass as well, you can have the carbon-nitrogen-oxygen fusion reaction, or the CNO cycle. The
0: CNO cycle. That's which half the eight. That is the one. That's the eight. Ah, that's
1: the one. I was thinking, I was visualizing a different table in my head from my textbook from my astro course last year. So the carbon-nitrogen-oxygen fusion reaction, you'd think maybe it has something to do with carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen, which it does, but it doesn't actually make carbon, nitrogen, or oxygen. These three elements are called catalysts. Mm -hmm. So they essentially make these reactions to turn again hydrogen into helium but make it easier for that to happen yeah
0: i love that word catalyst because it is uh, very famous in chemistry if yes. you are doing any kind of course about that some kind of substance that is not going to change it's going to to be there but it is just able to start in some way changing it slightly and then making that uh, the collisions and the way of that the chemical reaction is happening, well, not chemical reaction in this case, this is mm. a nuclear reaction, is going to be faster and much more effective. That's but right. But at the end, all the carbon or the nitrogen or the oxygen that have been involved is going to be released.
1: Yeah, and it stays, the, the abundance of... Carbon, um, nitrogen, oxygen stays the ex- same.
0: Exactly, and yeah. that is also why it is there is still plenty of things to to do and research to perform about all of this because we don't understand that very well. Because for making stars that are larger or more massive than one times the sun, the mass of the sun, we still need C and O. Mm. But what happened with the very first stars when C and O were Carbon, nitrogen, oxygen...
1: They didn't exist. They
0: didn't exist because they were created in the most massive stars. Aha! Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: That's it, because then more massive stars would have been more mm-hmm. abundant in the early universe because yes. there's just so much hydrogen and helium out there. Yep.
0: Yeah. but those, uh, they are called Population 3 stars. They were just very massive stars evolving very quickly and exploding fast as supernova.
1: That's right. We will go there. We'll get there. We'll get there. So yeah, so that's the main sequence, and I think now's a good time to mention uh, a little diagram that we that we love, but also don't love so much in astronomy. It just depends on how you look at it. The Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. Um, or HR diagram.
0: The HR diagram. I'm, uh, I'm just guessing here. You love it because it has plenty of physics inside it and the colours, the temperature, the luminosity and explain stellar evolution. For of me course. It is one of the most beautiful diagrams in astronomy and probably even in science because it explains plenty of things. You don't love it because it is named after two guys.
1: Oh, no, that wasn't really my quarrel oh, with it. Some, sometimes it's a little bit annoying because, you know, it depends on which way you look at it. If you look at it in terms of, so on, on this graph, you have on the bottom on the x-axis, you have temperature or spectral type. Mm-hmm. Or it could also be a wa- uh, peak wavelength that's yes. emitted. Yes. Okay, so there, there's that. Then on the y-axis, you have the luminosity or brightness, which the y-axis I have no problem with. That's fine. It, it, it's it's logical. It goes from low to high. Temperature goes from high to low.
0: Ah, that is why you don't like it. But that, but, is, an but an, then, but that is an observational fact because yep. when this diagram was created, we still didn't know how to explain it.
1: That's very true. we were
0: just putting, okay, all the stars that we are observing, and we are talking about the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century, we are going to put them here, we are going to put the color, and the color of the star is very much related to the uh, temperature, the surface right. temperature, and that is going to be connected with the spectra type.
1: Yes. And so with the with the wavelength that's emitted, it goes from blue to red, which is short to long. So if I look at it that way, that's fine, I that's guess. Fine. Okay.
0: And and that is in the horizontal axis. And the brightness, the absolute brightness it should be of the star in the vertical axis. But the very first person to actually Give the real important tools for understanding this diagram. Do you know who was?
1: It wasn't Hertzsprung or Russell, was it?
0: No, because they were the people who prepared and built this diagram. Right. Although Russell is very much connected with this person, Cecilia Payne.
1: <gasps> of course, Cecilia Payne!
0: Cecilia Payne was the very first person, the very first astronomer to realize using quantum mechanics that stars are made of hydrogen and helium. Mm-hmm. For me, it is the real birth of astrophysics, as we know now. And we have mentioned that in some few other episodes. So she was able, thanks to to her fantastic uh, PhD thesis, the best uh, PhD thesis in astronomy ever written, we were able to explain the helpful and there.
1: That's really cool. Go the women! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we're looking at this as well, I just want to chat about the the spectral types as well. And, and do you know where the letters come from?
0: Yeah. Where they do were, they come from? Uh, they were put in names and they have plenty of names. They actually have almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> and they then realized... That um, they were saying, oh, okay, the blue stars are going to be O, okay. The red star are going to be the N, okay. The star like the kind of the sun is going to be uh, G, because it was they were going to several kind of classification, and the missing letters actually are classification that now we are not using. Oh. Because we have now learned that they are the same kind of.
1: That's really cool. See now, if I look at this, you got obviously we can have uh, we have a few. I think they're called mnemonics. <laughs> you know, different like expressions you can use with each word starts with the letter. Mm-hmm. So O B A F G K M, in order from blue to and hot to cold, blue to red. O B A Fine Gentleman, Kiss Me is the one I learned. But looking at this, I think of it, <laughs> I found a bit of a funnier way to to think about this. Oh, oh my God, that's hot. B, boy, that's hot. A, ah, still hot. F, it's fine. Huh. G, that's good. K, just K. That'll do. <laughs> and M, nah. Yeah.
0: I'm going to get nah. that from okay. nah. now. Because,
1: going from, oh, my goodness, that's really hot. And down to, eh, not so bad.
0: Yeah, there have been many different kind of way of learning the O-B-A-F-G-K-M-N-L-S. But still, That's
1: right. Yeah, there's still more there's after more M. more
0: in, in, in just when you go to the red dwarfs and the, and the, the brown, brown, brown dwarfs, dwarfs the, around there. But still, there's, it's, 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 it's good, no? So you can try to put your very own acronym or mnemotechnic rule to remember this classification.
1: Yes, if you've come up with a funny one, let us know. Mm-hmm. And we'll share it in the next episode. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. that is a good idea. Yeah, Send it good. to us on Twitter. Yay, good. Did you know? Go for it. Did you have your very own rule about how to name OBAFGKN? Please let us know. Yes. The main thing in this diagram, when we were observing it, it is that there is a main sequence. And I said that very well. Main sequence of stars. <laughs> Starting from the top left going to the bottom right, Mm -hmm. changing the color slightly and decreasing in magnitude at the same time. And that is the main sequence of all the stars.
1: That's right. So so all all the the stars that are hot enough to fuse hydrogen, they spend at least a little time on that main sequence. Mm -hmm. But again, depending on how much time they spend on that main sequence, you guessed it, depends on the mass. Yes.
0: Yes, and that is so nice and it is so fundamental for astronomy to understand that mm. because if we have a possibility of observing regions of stars, for example, a star cluster. And actually, that episode about the star cluster was at the end an excuse to explain in the helpful Russell journal. to say, okay, um, we see plenty of stars here, we see the main sequence, but the main sequence is truncated in some position. So if you are able to to find the position where that, uh, the main sequence is just broken, it is called the turning point, you are finding the stars that have the largest masses that are still in the main sequence at that particular time, and that particular moment in that stellar cluster. And with that, you can determine very well the age of the cluster. Yes. And even you can determine the distance to the cluster.
1: I didn't know that part. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Well, Surprising. Yeah. So how long do these stars stay on the main sequence? Let's give a rundown. So we'll start again from low mass going up to high mass. Stick with what we're <laughs> not jumping around again. So starting with 0.1 solar masses. So about a 10th of the mass of the sun. These stars last for thousands of billions of years. It's considered a spectral type M7, so the, these are the coldest of the M spectral type stars. Yeah, they
0: are the red dwarf
1: stars. Very, very small red dwarf stars. Then we have a one solar mass star. Huh, I wonder what example we can use for this one. Oh, wait, mm. the sun. For <laughs> so the sun is a spectral type G2, so it's good. Mm-hmm. In my mnemonic.
0: Yeah. And uh, let me, let me before before we move away, let me give some uh, names from this kind of stars. So for example, for the red dwarf stars, we can uh, think about Proxima Centauri. Yep. An example of red dwarf star. Mm-hmm. For uh, one solar mass star. Uh, the that, sun? That,
1: that, you, what you else? That. What <laughs>
0: else could we use? Alpha Centauri is another one.
1: That's another one too. And they last for about 10 billion years. And, and we've known this for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And the sun's about middle-aged about five billion years old or so then we have our 1.5 solar mass stars mm-hmm. do we have an example for one of those Procyon. Procyon in canis Minor. very nice very nice that is it the head of the dog or the butt of the dog i,
0: I, I forget which side I, it, uh, no, no, no. it really doesn't it, matter because they <laughs> are two stars right? Just two it stars. depends how you draw it that's right. I have seen it. I think I have seen it in
1: this divorce mm. So these ones last for about three billion years. Mm-hmm. So getting shorter, quite drastically, actually. Yeah. Then we have so. a three solar mass star.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be a kind of an A five, mm-hmm. probably. That will be at around Sirius, Altair, Vega, something like that.
1: Yep. Sounds
0: that sounds pretty. kind good. of stars are to appear more. Whitish, perhaps. Because mm, to little be a bit too of blue. Firm, but a little bit, but more. Just a hint. Yeah, hint, but not that much. A
1: hint of blue. Now, these ones only last for 370 million years. So, big jump.
0: Definitely. Big jump again. So, it is just doubling the mass. Mm-hmm. And we are going from 3 billion years to. To 307
1: 3, 300. million. So, it's
0: just. Yep, it is what I mentioned to you. Indeed. 10 to the 3.
1: That's right. And then we have a 10 solar master,
0: mm-hmm.
1: spectral type B4.
0: B4, well, around that time, that will be Spica, probably, I would say, and Beta Centauri.
1: Beta Centauri?
0: Beta Centauri is really? around that.
1: Yeah. Oh.
0: Probably it is a bit um, more massive than 10 solar masses. Mm. It's around there.
1: Very cool, very cool. These ones last for thirty-two million years, so a factor of ten.
0: And did you go back to the thirty solar masses?
1: Thirty solar masses, yes, and 07, so the coldest of the hottest stars.
0: Uh, that night, nice. I don't have any example of that. No examples. This, this See, this,
1: so, it, this, so this... this actually is a good, uh, a good analogy, or not quite an analogy here, but it's quite funny because there, have... there aren't that many of these big stars in the universe. No, there's well, no, 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 a. No. a hell of a lot of red dwarfs out there and stars like the sun but these really hot big massive stars are not as abundant Mm -hmm. not because
0: even uh, betelgeuse because we are going to be talking about that um, again very soon that has it is in the order of the 10th so it is uh, a speaker will be um if we could see betelgeuse in the past it would be like speaker right so Speak it is is mm. in the main sequence. Betelgeuse is going to the super giant branch.
1: Yep. Uh, but those hypothetical 30 solar mass stars last for about 11 million years. So again, very, very short. And then finally, top one that we have here on our list is 60 solar masses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Any of those on there?
0: Uh, no, but I can mention that in some place around that area between 30, 60, there will be the very famous Trafasian stars. Okay. Yeah, they are O. I not. I don't remember exactly which subcategory on the O's, but they are O's for sure mm-hmm. because they're ionizing the nebula. Yep, they're very well known. We know that they are around one million years old, and they will die between two, three, four.
1: That's right. Yes, million
0: years still very short in astronomy.
1: Very short, merely a blink of an eye.
0: A, a, a little uh, bit so
1: yes these 60 solar mass stars last for only 3 million years hmm. i know million is a big number but that's really short especially yeah. since we started on hun- thousands of billions yeah, so the more small.
0: massive you are the faster and much faster you're eating or your fuel and you are finishing your life
1: That's right. That
0: is a rule for astronomy, for stars, at least.
1: Very much so. But then, I guess that begs the question, how do these stars end their lives? Which, again, you guessed it, depends on the mass. On the mass.
0: (laughs) The mass is the main thing, the main driver of the stellar evolution.
1: That's right. So, of course, if we have small stars, I think it's about four solar masses or less, maybe three solar masses or less, Mm -hmm. generally they all turn into white dwarfs. So, once your star runs out of hydrogen in its core, the core then starts to collapse because there's now no longer any thermal pressure holding itself up against the force of gravity because of all the stuff around it. Mm -hmm. And so it collapses until, as it's collapsing, the pressure builds up and the temperature builds up, and if the temperature gets high enough for helium fusion to occur, it heats up. Yeah. And helium fusion happens in the core.
0: Mm-hmm. Because I, I mentioned that briefly before about uh, thermal and uh, hydrostatical equilibrium because that is mm. very important. That is why a star is stable for yes. so many, 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 many years, particularly in Red dwarf or stars like the Sun, living the main sequence for some few billion years for sure. It is just, uh, okay, the star should be collapsing because of its very own gravity, but at the same time that you have the pressure of the nuclear reactions that are happening mm. in the core, and these are kept in equilibrium one with the other. And the other thing it is that all the energy that is produced in the center of the star because of the nuclear reaction that is going to be released as visible light mainly at the end. That's right. Uh, I mean at the end, not the end, in the surface of the star. And having this double equilibrium, it is why we see the stars uh, shining balls of gas. In the sky.
1: That's right. However, though, if the core of your star doesn't compress enough to get hot enough to fuse helium, then we get this degeneracy pressure. Mm-hmm. which I, We may have talked about this before. Probably. Possibly. I feel like I definitely described, oh, we would have been talking about neutron stars, surely. Mm-hmm. So similar with neutron stars or white dwarfs. in this particular case, these atoms... They can only stack together so closely. They can't, they can't get any closer than whatever the, the distance is, maybe a few Planck lengths or something like that. And from this very dense packing of atoms, you get this degeneracy pressure due to the degeneracy principle. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, ge- de- the degeneracy
0: the principle, the Fermi principle.
1: That's it, the Fermi principle. So atoms can't be in the same state. particularly electrons or fermions. That's why it's called the Fermi principle. (laughs) Surprise! Um, And that's when we get a white dwarf forming.
0: Sorry, it is the other way around. They are called fermions because they satisfy the Fermi principle.
1: Oh, I see. Other way around. (laughs) But yes, that's when we get a white dwarf in the center of about one solar mass Hmm. stars. Mm
0: -hmm. One... That a star is just uh, breaking this equilibrium that we were talking about. It is when the star is leaving the main sequence Mm. because of the changes that are happening inside the star. Yeah. That is why I mentioned before the turning point in the main sequence diagram. Depending on the mass, they are going to be leaving the main sequence in one direction or the other, but usually to the top right part of the diagram. Mm -hmm. If these are very massive, they're going to move almost horizontally. Mm-hmm. If they are like the sun or some few, as you mentioned, some few times the sun, the mass of the sun is going to move almost vertically mm-hmm. and going into the region that we define as the giants.
1: That's right. In the,
0: in the, in the Hebrew, Russell, Dara. And from there, they will move, eventually move to a different kind of position. White dwarf stars they are actually below the main sequence. Because yes. these are relatively hot stars, but they're very faint, uh, not that bright in luminosity. That's right. very compact objects.
1: Yes. So, yes, so, missed a little part in there, but, yeah, you have these li- these not-so-massive stars about one about the sun. They go up, turn into giants, and then eventually their core will turn into mm-hmm. a white dwarf. So that's where our... Less massive stars. So for more massive stars, we then get a bit more massive, more compact objects: the neutron star Hmm. after it's moved off the main sequence and done its giant stuff.
0: Uh, Yeah, but that that will be at the end of the life of the star. That's right. Before that, uh, it just, as I was trying to mention before, it's moving away from the left part of the diagram, the main sequence, into the supergiants, mm, Into
1: the very luminous and very red part yes, of the diagram.
0: Which is where Betelgeuse is at
1: the moment. That's right. So what do you think? Well, do you think uh, Betelgeuse would turn into a neutron star or a black hole?
0: Probably a, a neutron star
1: mm-hmm. at, the end, at
0: the end of its life. We actually don't know very well because it's very difficult to estimate and uh, original mass of Peter juice, but mm-hmm. it is around that point in which probably not more than 15 solar masses. Yep. And you need at least that, the 15 to 20 solar masses to, to not become a neutron star, but a black hole.
1: Yes. So it's those really, really massive stars mm-hmm. that live brilliantly for not very long turn into those black Hulse.
0: But something else important to say about these stars that are located in the top right part of the to russell diagram, it is that they change brightness periodically. Sometimes with some uh, fixed periodicity, mm-hmm. sometimes with a kind of a random periodicity because they're combination of several factors. I mean, That's right. Variable.
1: That's what gives us our semi-variable stars like Betelgeuse.
0: So something like that. There are many different kind of categories about variable stars and depending where they are in different little super stages in the life of the stars. But for sure, we are talking about a star here, super red giant that is huge. I mean, the standard layers of Betelgeuse they are more or less, if, if, it, if that star where where the sun is, in Jupiter. Jupiter to Saturn.
1: Yeah. If we replaced our sun in the solar system with Betelgeuse, we would most certainly be inside the star. For sure.
0: so And there's some few images obtained, for example, with ALMA that explained that very well. ALMA, the radio interferometer in, in Chile, in Atacama. And they have been observed that it is forming a kind of a nebula around it, mm-hmm. because um, it's it's
1: losing. just so
0: massive. It's, it's losing so much it's mass. Losing, it's losing mass. It's Something important again to to emphasize here, and that is, regardless of the mass, for all uh, the for the last phases of a star, it is that is going to be losing mass. Yes, it is actually losing mass all the time. The sun is losing mass at the moment. Yes,
1: yes. So but are we. more so. But it in is those even larger... much
0: more in these kind of stars. So for uh, stars like the sun they're actually going to lose all the stellar layers. Mm -hmm. And it's going to form a
1: planetary nebula. That's right. Nothing to do with planets, though.
0: Nothing to do with planets.
1: The reason why they called it a planetary nebula is because when they saw these objects through telescopes, they resembled the size of planets. Mm -hmm. And so
0: that's where the
1: mess started. (laughs) Yes,
0: in the old times when they had only kind of small telescopes and it was not that easy. Yes, but and in the center of That planetary nebula, you will find the white dwarf. That's right. And we actually see the planetary nebula because the white dwarf, it is a very blue, hot star, and it is ionizing the gas. Mm. But a planetary nebula only lasts for 10,000 years.
1: So not very long at all.
0: Not very long at all, because the, the expansion of the gas is just moving away. Mm. And we can see that even in images with the Hubble Space Telescope. So that is the situation also with the large stars, the supergiant stars, or even Betelgeuse. Beetlejuice Little mm. is also losing mass.
1: Yeah, so-, so, what do we, so what's happening with Betelgeuse now? Shall we try and explain with what we've come up to now? What's going on? Why so, will it not go off soon?
0: So the situation here it is that uh, stars are giant kitchens. I love to mention that.
1: Giant Uh, kitchens. Yes, because you put
0: hydrogen and they are cooking different elements.
1: I like that. Yep, sounds good.
0: Um, Usually, they are only going to be cooking helium. Mm -hmm. Later, if they're a bit more massive, the sun, for example, will not do that. But if they're a bit more massive, they will be able to do some carbon, oxygen, uh, but not that much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Unless you have a large mass, I mean, starting from 8 times the mass of the sun, you will be able to start to cook different elements. First, you have the hydrogen that is going to be burning into helium. The helium is going to be converting, burning into carbon, and neon, and oxygen, and sulfur too, and then silicon, and then you have a core of iron.
1: But is, then that's where it stops.
0: Yes, and that is where it stops.
1: No more, iron, no, no more heavy elements from fusion. From
0: fusion, and that is the
1: other great plot that I
0: love about stellar evolution and physics in general, which mm-hmm. is, I don't have it here. Oh, the iron peak? The iron peak, yes. Exactly. It is the energy, the binding energy of the nuclei depending on the atomic mass. Mm-hmm. So it is increasing from hydrogen to helium, oxygen, and all the light elements till the iron. At where at it the peak, peaks at the peak, and then it is de- it is decreasing again, and that is mm-hmm. because of the physics, the atomic physics. Is just that, well, you you want to get energy, and that is what stars are doing, getting energy to create new elements and for getting light and for being alive. That's mm-hmm. the way. You have to fusion to merge different nuclei. Let's say hydrogen protons mm-hmm. to form new elements. That's right, but the other way around, it is what we are doing in, in the fission reactions. That is when we are breaking nuclei, releasing the energy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you are having two elements that are lighter than the original element. That is what we do in nuclear reactions. Yes. Sodium, uranium, something like that. We get energy from there. But iron and the peak around there, these are the most stable elements in nature. You cannot break iron item to get energy mm-hmm. and you cannot merge several iron atoms or nuclei to get energy. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. That wow. does. And that is why the studies
1: I ay, can't ay, do ay,
0: anything pluff. anymore! <laughs> I'm a I'm, When I say pluff, it actually it is a very big
1: Yes, <laughs> And that happens very quickly too. Once once they get to that iron core, it's like, bam, I'm it gone. Is. I'm done. I'm Wait, out. Question
0: of minutes. Mm. Something like that. The situation here with vital Choose and the reason why I'm telling this, it is because even when you move from burning helium into carbon, and carbon to any other thing, mm-hmm. that is going to be a question of months, weeks, doing the rest. It's going to wow. do it very, very fast.
1: Still very quick. So like very, very all quick.
0: the latest papers that have been analysing betelgeuse in the last few years, and that is something that we have been also mentioning in social media during the last month or so, since all this craziness with betelgeuse has started, they're still suggesting that uh, betelgeuse is in the phase of burning helium. Ah, oh, so we're, st- we're still good. And that will last probably for the next 100,000 years. Mm. And that is what we are saying. It is around a 100,000 years. But we are talking in astronomy about big numbers. We don't know exactly where we are. That may happen in two days. I don't think so, but it might happen in two One days. One can hope. Or no. no, no, no. <laughs> or what we many things really probably think it is that it will happen in at least thousands of years from now, if yes. not tens of thousands of years. Yeah. And what is happening now, it seems that it's a situation because we have seen the variability of bitter juice through time.
1: We have, yes. It's
0: right that right now it is a magnitude of only 1.6. 1.4,
1: I think, last I saw.
0: 1.6 this morning when I checked. Ah, okay. (laughs) So that is quite uh still going although it seems getting, starting to reach a bit of a plateau, mm-hmm. getting there, although some other people have been doing the estimation, hey, if Betelgeuse continues fading at this, this rate, it will disappear from... then.
1: We it, won't see it. We will see it. We will it. not With be able to see it, it at anymore.
0: the end of the year.
1: It's very sad. Which by the time sad. it comes back again, we will, but, this this could potentially be the last time we're seeing Betelgeuse. It,
0: it will be there. That'll be fine. It will be there. It will be there, historically, having seen even Aboriginal astronomers. That's right. That have been changing. And it seems that it is just a combination of different cycles of variability. Mm. In there. Plus, perhaps, you know, some uh, magnetic activity, losing matter in some way, because we have seen the image of the surrounding gas that the nebula that's creating, Betelgeuse, mm-hmm. around it. The point we want to emphasize here it is it's extremely Extremely unlikely that we will see Betelgeuse explode as a type 2 supernova in our lifetime. I insist. I really insist about that. Perhaps I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you're going to have a oh beautiful show in the sky. But I want to emphasize also that If you are expecting to see Beetlejuice to explode because you are going to see half of the sky, not half of the sky, but even the size of the full moon, a nebula or something there, no, (laughs) that is still going to be a point of light. It'll just be very bright. It'll be very, very, very bright. It will be, imagine, the brightness of the full moon in just one point. And um, there is some debate about if it will burn the eye if you're looking through a telescope or not. I really don't care at the moment about that.
1: Yeah, uh, wait till that actually happens.
0: <laughs> that happen, But I have seen some people that are trying to do the joke of Betelgeuse exploding and every explosion like, you know, when... Uh, Lucas Skywalker destroyed the rest of the star in Star Wars and stuff like that. No, 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 no. We are not going to see that. We are going to see that suddenly Betelgeuse is going to have a very quickly increment in brightness. Mm-hmm. And it will be visible during even the day without any problem. And Which it will be cool. there and we will, everyone will enjoy that for half a year or so. And then the star disappear, and Orion will not be the same, never again which is sad, and that is why I don't want this star to explode a supernova. Also because the numbers and the physics are strongly, strongly suggesting that it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Eta Karina will explode first. She's one, laughing. One can hope. <laughs> really, really. It has been in the, everywhere, in the news, in the, in the very famous newspapers. Oh, it's going to explode. The problem is from the astronomers. When we are explaining the Hubble-Russell diagram, and we are using Betelgeuse as an example of super bright giant that is going to explode soon as a supernova,
1: when we say soon, and again,
0: soon is still a lot of time, and it is a lot of time for us.
1: So I think I think um, <sighs> I'm going to step in here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're going to st- we're going to stop this rant where we are.
0: <laughs> <sighs> Give me some water.
1: <laughs> so I think we've done pretty well today. We've gone through almost the entire, at least. Snapshots of the evolution of stars.
0: But there is an extra point that it is important to make with a stellar evolution. Sorry, I know that which is a long, a, long, a long way already. But it doesn't matter if the star is dying as a planetary nebula and a white dwarf because it is a low-mass star, if it is going to explode as a supernova and it's going to provide um a neutron pulsar, star? a neutron star yeah. of a black hole. Mm-hmm. If if the star original mass is larger than fifteen times the mass of the sun, all the material that the star have created is going to be released into the interstellar medium. Just the little part that is locked into the white dwarf or black hole or the pulsar. Yeah. So the
1: majority star. of the star will actually. Be- be but out. The
0: majority of that material is going to be out and that is going to mix again with the interstellar material mm. and that is going to form new stars. That's right. And that is why I like to say that the stellar evolution it is not a path, it is a cycle. That's right. It is a cycle of a stellar evolution. So you have at the beginning the, the, the nebula, the star forming region, the stars forming the main sequence of stars. And they die in some different way and the material is returning to the galaxy and form new stars.
1: That's right, the universe is very sustainable.
0: Yes, and, and that is a very nice thought to have in mind about how the universe and stars and galaxies work.
1: That's right. But now for our final part of our episode, what's up and why not? Let's do a star-forming region. A nice little spot to finish on. Not quite the end of a star life, but as I just mentioned, it's never really the end anyway. It cycles through, so into... Into what's up! We decided to talk a
0: bit about the Rosette Nebula, which actually it is one of my favourite nebulas. It's a good one. It is a good one. It (laughs) is very nice because even if you have a chance of going into a dark place and you have a digital camera with you that is able to get
1: exposure, long
0: exposure, you can get it. That's really cool. As a red dot. Um, very nearby to Orion, actually in Rosette Nebula, it is in the Monoceros uh, constellation, the Unicona. Mm-hmm. Monoceros means unicorn in uh, Latin. It is a very large nebula. I think it is actually larger than, where do I have, do I have the size? I don't have the size here, but I think it is around oh, the it is
1: 65
0: light years. Uh, yeah, that is the radius, the apparent radius. I want the apparent size to compare with the moon. Mm-hmm. Ah. I think it is around that size. around the size of the moon? Probably a bit smaller. Wow! Probably a bit smaller. Probably it is a bit smaller. But just to give you a sense, it is an extended object. Um, It has the cluster in the center, and you see a kind of a gap of material Mm -hmm. in the center of this nebula, and that material had been used for forming stars
1: yes the it's star like cluster. pulled out a pocket of this nebula this gas of where these stars have been born
0: and that is why it is one of my favorite nebulas to show when i'm talking about stellar evolution mm. from a single nebula you have plenty of stars in this case the star cluster ngc 2244 which is the main star cluster there and that material it is, that, is, that is why you see the like, gap in the center of the Rosetta Nebula, because some material have been consumed for stars. That's wonderful. It's very nice. So um, that is also known as Caldwell 49, meaning it is a bright object that so should have been in the Messier catalog. The open cluster NGC 2244, actually it is uh, Cadwell 50, the next one. So it is the uh, two of them. Beautiful uh, nebula. Probably you have seen plenty of images of this Nebula. You can Google it. Um, It is around 5,200 light years away from us.
1: Not too shabby. And
0: that is the the one, the object for WhatsApp that we have recommended to have a look even if you want to try to get a photo of it.
1: Yes. If you get a photo of it, send it to us as well. We'd love to see it.
0: So there is one of the stars in NGC 2244 that is called HD 46223. Actually, there are two. HD 46223 and HD 46150 that are O-type. Ooh. That has these massive stars that are uh, ionizing the nebula and the reasons why we see the nebula.
1: Also, oh, so they're lighting up the nebula yes. for
0: us. Yes, and the, not only the Hubble images, but there some few... Not a few, that's actually many, many images taken by amateur astronomers that are able to observe not only in the light that we see, but also in these special filters of hydrogen, sulfur, right. oxygen. It is very colorful mm. because you see the kind of the blue part in the center, then the reddish, reddish in the in the sternal layers, mm-hmm. because it is where you get the higher density and you see more the sulfur. So beautiful, beautiful images. Um, yeah, but you can also enjoy it. And even if you are not able to see the nebula by yourself, because it's a few bit faint, it is very mm-hmm. much extended and a bit faint. If you don't have a very good sky, but you will see the cluster. So C- that's nice. Because C- C- at C- least
1: one thing you can see.
0: Yeah, for sure you can see that. So it is, I think, a nice uh, object for
1: the WhatsApp. And relating to our topic for today. Yes. Wonderful. Good. That's us for episode 31 today. And not that you would all notice, but I've noticed it. We haven't had to deal with any planes today (laughs) because we're recording on location. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. I almost forgot that we were going to mention that. Yeah, but because of circumstances today, it is the very first episode that we are not recording in the offices at the AAO in North Wright here in Sydney, Mm -hmm. but uh, actually we are in my place, in my house, in my office,
1: recording this. Where there are no planes, no flight paths over here.
0: No, no, that is a great thing. If perhaps you have realized that sometimes at the end of the episode there's some joke complaining about complaining. and the last one was particularly funny.
1: <laughs> I quite liked it. <laughs> it was good. But anyway, as always, thank you for listening. Please do stay tuned for our next episode and whatever topic we choose to give to you guys then. Mm-hmm. Always, always, always send us your feedback, any questions. And tell us about your mnemonic for OBAFGKM, all of the spectral types of our stars. See if mm. we can... So, if we'll include them in our next episode, some of the funny ones.
0: That will be good, and we will add some few extra feedback that it is too much for this episode. So, we will do it next time.
1: Alright, so you can find us on Twitter at the Scientists on Facebook and email as well. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next episode. Bye bye.
0: Thank you. Bye bye.